Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. The day after the Utah Jazz drafted Jared Butler with the 40th pick of the second round and the morning after the Jazz traded Derek Favors to the Oklahoma City Thunder. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com and download the KSL Sports app. That's the easiest way to get all of my content and all of our content at KSL Sports covering the Jazz, the Utes, the Cougars, the NFL, whatever you're looking for, we've got it for you. Uh, Answering your mailbag questions today, always excited to do that. I got a bunch from you because I think interest in the Jazz is really high right now because... Uh, They had a pretty busy night, and because there's high expectations going into this next season, plus free agency starts on, what, Tuesday, Monday, Monday, so uh, it's going to be a busy week with Summer League coming up as well. Uh, Let's get right into it. Again, follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I appreciate everybody who uh, answers the call when I look for your mailbag questions. It makes these podcasts a lot more fun to do, and hopefully I address uh, some of the needs that I may otherwise overlook uh, as I just kind of get lost in the forest sometimes <laughs> looking at the uh, all the Jazz coverage we have. So, first question comes in from Chris Porman. Do you think the Jazz signing Conley will be simply to keep him, or do they have options for a trade? So, the latest news today, I don't know if you saw it, Mark Stein, uh, formerly of the New York Times, wrote that the Jazz are willing to offer Mike Conley $75 million over three seasons to bring him back. That's a huge offer. I don't think anyone else in the NBA is going to match that. Maybe someone will give him two years and seventy or and fifty million or three years and sixty. I have a hard time imagining anybody else is going to give him three years and seventy-five million bucks. So I think the Jazz, if they're willing to do that, uh, are going to have a really good chance to bring him back, and it shows that they're serious about keeping this championship window open. If you do that, you're not looking to trade him this season. You know that's a significant investment. You want him to come in, and you want to basically run it back like you did last year with your all-star backcourt and Rudy Gobert, which is smart. And then you tweak the pieces around him. Uh, I think that should be the plan for the Jazz. I think losing Mike Conley would be disastrous. I think it sets you back enormously. It probably closes your championship window, and you invested a lot in him only to lose him a couple of years later. Here's what it also does. If you give him three years and $75 million, at his age, he's 33, he's going to be turning 34 this year. I would be surprised if that third year on a deal like that is fully guaranteed. I think you make it either a team option or you make it partially guaranteed, and that does two things. First of all, it gives you more flexibility on the end of the contract, and second of all, it makes it a pretty valuable trade piece. You keep him this year, you know you're going to keep him this year. Then all of a sudden, you've either got a really good player who you've still got team control of for two seasons, or you've got a guy who's on a $25 million expiring contract. And there's not that many like that in the NBA. You see all these deals right now that are being shipped around. You've got guys on huge contracts that are signed for three, four more years that they say are untradeable, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, etc. And you're still getting these deals done. But you have to be able to send you know, an expiring contract back. And that's what Mike Conley would turn into. So if the Jazz found themselves in a spot where a year from now, they didn't win the championship or they're not closer to winning a title and they need to retool or Mike Conley's not a good fit here, even though I think he will be, you can then trade that contract if the third year's a team option uh, or uh, partially guaranteed. And it's basically a $25 million expiring deal. And I actually think those have a lot of value. You can take on somebody else's bigger contract that they want to unload. You can maybe get more assets for it. Plus, Mike Conley has value as a player still. So I think there's a lot that could be done in that contract that actually could have value for the Jazz, even though I think three years and $75 million is a very big price tag. I actually think it 
helps A, keep your your uh, championship window open in the immediate future and may actually prolong it as a trade option down the line. So no, they don't look to trade it right away, but depending on the uh, options in the third year, it gets pretty interesting. Uh, Darius on Twitter. Good question, by the way. Darius on Twitter. Who are some guys you could expect the Jazz to target with their $9.7 million trade exception? That's the trade exception they got back for Derek Favors. They also got one for Ed Davis last year. Uh, they're not going to use it. Simply put, that that would be my best guess, and, and it's a pretty, not well-informed, but just educated based on the history of traded player exceptions, not just in Utah, but basically across the NBA. They rarely get used. The last one that got used, I think, was the Boston Celtics used theirs from Gordon Hayward to get Evan Fournier. Uh, here's why you don't use it. You trade a player for a traded player exception, which basically means you just get a placeholder for their contract, for their salary, because you're trying to save money. You're trying to dump salary, which is exactly what the Jazz did with Derek Favors last night. They don't want his salary anymore because they don't think they can afford it. You don't then go out and try and get a player to replace that and, and, and kind of refill that salary. The analogy I'd make is if you sell the timeshare or you get out of your family timeshare or vacation home because you can't afford it, you don't then turn around and use that money to buy a boat. That doesn't help you financially. That, that just puts you back in another bad spot with something you don't want to use. So I don't expect the Jazz to use that traded player exception. They lost a the first round pick with favors. We'll talk about it more coming up here in a moment. Uh, it's a big payout. You know, you, you lost, you gambled and lost with favors and that's tough, but I think you had to do it. And I don't think you use the TPE on the back end. Uh, coming in from Cam Young. What position should the Jazz target with the taxpayer exception? Now, this is different than the traded player exception. This is the tax player exception, which is actually kind of the one tool the Jazz should have this offseason to go out and uh, and sign a player, a free agent, to come in and help the roster. He says, a jumbo four that can play small five, a player like Bobby Portis or Nicholas Batum. Uh, here's my thoughts on those two. Yes, on Nicholas Batum, I think you go out and you look at him uh, if he's available He's going to have suitors because he played well in the for the Clippers. He can sit in the three or in the corner and hit the three. He can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. He's kind of like Boris Diaw now, but shoots better. Uh, and also, he can play a little bit of defense. So, so that type of guy is is very valuable and might just cost more than the Jazz are willing to pay. Uh, as far as Bobby Portis, I think the same thing. He's coming off the best season of his career because he did the things that he normally does on a winning team. So he's going to he's got his championship ring now. If he's smart, and I think his, you know, he and his agent will sit down and talk about this, he will try and cash in on the best year of his career, get as much money as he can, even if he has to sign with a bad team. And then if you don't want to be there, you force a trade, you know, and you, you work your way out of it because he's not going to turn around a bad franchise, but he's a really nice piece on the back end of a good franchise, but he needs to get his money first. Think of what George Hill did when he left the Jazz or what he got traded to the Cavaliers, and then he went and signed with the... Sacramento Kings and got like $20 million a season that nobody else was willing to pay. And the Kings thought, hey, he'll turn our our franchise around. Obviously, he didn't. He's not that player. That's who Bobby Portis is. He might be able to get a bunch of money. Someone's going to believe that, hey, he helped the Bucks. He can help us. He doesn't help you in that way. He gets his money and then he asks for a trade somewhere else. That That's what I expect with, uh, w- w- with a guy like Bobby Portis. And I just don't think he's in the Jazz price range. Now, what names could you look at? Uh, there's quite a few, depending on how much or how little you want to spend. Again, the taxpayer exceptions, five to $7 million. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, but there's guys that get to be available. And a lot of teams have the tax player, taxpayer exception. A lot of teams just have the mid-level exception. So the Jazz aren't going to be in the catbird seat by any means when it comes to chasing free agents. But they are pretty good. And you clearly have room at the four and at the five where you're going to be able to play some guys and maybe even at the three. So... 
someone might want to come and sign here because you're on a good roster. You're playing for Quinn Snyder, who players seem to like, and uh, and you'll get a little bit of money. Aaron Baines is a name I'd keep an eye on. We talked about him quite a bit last offseason as an option. The Jazz went with Derek Favors instead as just kind of the more proven option. Baines signed in Toronto. He was awful last year, but had been really good in Phoenix two seasons before. He can stretch the floor. He's pretty tough. He's a good rebounder. He's looked good with Australia before he left because of whatever the weird bathroom incident that happened uh, in Tokyo. But uh, he was really bad last year in Toronto, and it was just a bad fit. Now, I think Toronto was a little bit of a mess after winning the championship a couple of years ago and just not really quite figuring out how to run it back uh, this past season. They just didn't. They just did not fit very well together. They did not They did not look like a team that understood whether they were trying to make the playoffs or trying to unload Kyle Lowry. Now there's talk about them trying to get rid of uh, Pascal Siakam. So th- they were just in flux, and I think Aaron Baines was partially, you know, hurt by that because it was just a team that didn't know its identity. He has a team option for $7 million. They'd be insane to pick that up. I don't think they'll do that. But they might... Uh, be willing to waive him or trade him. I don't think the Jazz want to take that $7 million back. You probably just let him hit unrestricted free agency after he gets waived, and you see if you can buy low on him. You throw a little bit of money at him, three or four million bucks. He comes in as a four and a five uh, who can spread the floor, and that's probably not a bad option for a guy who might still be pretty good and you have him for a season or two. Other names I would keep an eye on, Mo Harkless. We talked about him last year. He didn't do a whole lot. He kind of bounced around. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has good averages, doesn't ever seem to make a huge impact. Uh, Shemi Ojale is probably leaving Boston this year. He never quite figured it out. Justice Winslow, I don't know what kind of money he's going to get. He got paid like $13 million this year, but he's just not the guy anyone ever thought of he would be when he was the number 10 pick. He may want to come to a place that has a clear role for him. Jazz could give him their full taxpayer mid-level exception, and he can certainly defend on the wing a little bit. David Nwaba was in Houston last year. Otto Porter's a name that's long been tied to the Jazz. It can kind of play uh, the three and the four. So a couple of names there to keep an eye on. That's something uh, if the Jazz are just going out and signing free agents, maybe a couple of people I would uh, I-, I would be looking at for the Jazz to go out and uh, and bring in. Uh, Supermensch on Twitter, please discuss what this comment from Justin Zanuck meant last night and how it goes in practice. I tweeted this out during his uh, presser. He-, he was nice enough to stick around after the draft and talk to the media. Justin Zanuck said, Ryan, talking about Ryan Smith, Ryan's resources and commitment to spending are going to be at levels that we've never done with the Jazz. So first of all, what it means is a Justin, uh, or I should say uh, Ryan Smith has more money than the Millers had, and he's more willing to use it to make the Jazz competitive. It was just not something the Jazz were ever super uh, comfortable doing under the Millers. They said if they could win a championship, they'd pay the luxury tax, but they never seemed to have a real rule on how close they had to be to winning a championship to go into that luxury tax space, and then Ryan Smith did it last year. So he's willing to do it. He makes more money than the Millers did. He has more money coming in than the Millers did, so he might be more willing to spend it. That's the good news. Also, I mean, making this super competitive offer to a guy like Mike Conley, $75 million next season uh, is a lot, or $75 million over the next three seasons is a lot, and that might be something that in the past, I already talked about George Hill, the Millers wouldn't have been able or willing to do, and Ryan Smith is. So I think that's what it means, paying the luxury tax, being aggressive to bring your own players back. And then if you have to, you know, make trades and you can bring extra cash back or or you go out and you use, you know, uh, mid-level exceptions that the Jazz haven't in the past, I think that's how it's going to play out. And that's a good sign for Jazz fans. You want your owner to be willing to spend uh, and invest it in this team winning. And I think that's what Ryan Smith and Justin Zanuck are doing. And that's a, that's a very good sign. 
Uh, King Gold Chains on Twitter. What's the Jazz Summer League roster for Salt Lake City, Jazz White, and Blue? So that they have two different rosters, which means they're going to have like you know 30 players split up or 25 players split up between these two teams just because they wanted to field a bigger field uh, here in Salt Lake City. And only Memphis and San Antonio are coming to Utah. So they wanted to have four teams, so it really wasn't just a two-game tournament. Uh, we don't have all the names yet. The names that I'm pretty confident in that we're on the Jazz last year that should come back. Jarrell Brantley, Juwan Morgan, Trent Forrest, Elijah Hughes, Yudoka Azabuki. I would bet Matt Thomas plays. He's not like he has a long career in the NBA. He needs to prove himself. And then uh, Basio Teague, who signed with the Jazz last night as an undrafted free agent, he should be on the roster as well. Mark Deeks, who covers the NBA, had a nice long list of players that would be with the Jazz in Salt Lake City. Joe Chaley, Dakota Matias, Frankie Ferrari... Nate Sestina, who's from Kentucky, uh, Kyle Kasten, Macy Oteague, Charles Cook, Justin Patton, who's kind of interesting, was a former first-round pick, a lottery pick. Uh, He's got Jared Butler. There's questions about whether Jared Butler's going to be able to play in Salt Lake City. Justin Zanuck was noncommittal. We'll talk to Jared tomorrow and see what he says. Uh, And also Jarrell Martin and Matt Mooney. So there's a couple of names there. It it should be a fun roster. It should be a lot of experience. I mean, some of those guys are are really good. Jarrell Brantley should dominate. Uh, he should come in and play really well. I bet Trent Forrest looks good. Yudoka Azabuki and Elijah Hughes should look good as they've had some NBA experience. We'll see if Mieoni comes back from the Olympics in time and decides he wants to play. Probably wouldn't be in Salt Lake City if Nigeria gets eliminated tomorrow. Uh, but maybe. Maybe he comes back and wants to play right away, or maybe he waits till Vegas. Uh, he should be good, too, and I think the Jazz would like to probably have him out there and just get some more experience. Remember, he's only really done one summer league with the Jazz because last year was hung up by the COVID-19 pandemic. So, should be some good rosters. I actually think Jazz fans will uh, will get to watch a very good team that should probably win a, b- a bunch of games. Uh, Jason Burt on Twitter. Do you think Azabuki will be ready for the Jazz to take backup minutes with Favors leaving? If not, do the Jazz try to sign a free agent center? Here's the deal with Azabuki, and Justin Zanuck said this last night. This is They're looking at this like it's his second rookie season. A, not only did he not get a bunch of opportunities to get on the floor with the team because they had Gobert in favors, but then he got hurt when he was with the Stars and only made one or two appearances late in the season once he came back from that ankle injury. So, he doesn't have that much experience in the NBA. Then again, he played four years at Kansas and was drafted because for his NBA readiness. That was not a guy you were drafting because he had this untapped potential. You knew what he was. He's a huge body who blocks shots. He's basically unstoppable once he gets the ball at the rim. He can jump out of the gym. He's got crazy long arms. He plays good defense. Like All these things he did at Kansas are exactly what he's projected to be able to do in the NBA. If he can't do them this year, there's questions about, for me, about whether he'll ever really be able to do them because he wasn't drafted for the skill development project. He was drafted because of his athleticism and the things he already did. So I think he's got to start to show those. In that sense, the Jazz have to be willing to throw him out there and let him sink or swim. At the same time, you think you're a championship contender, and you're not going to put that on the back of a rookie or second-year player who doesn't have that much experience in the NBA, who's really unproven and looked still pretty raw when he got on the floor in the playoffs. So I think the Jazz both have to let Azabuki get a chance, but you have to have an option to step in who's far more proven if Rudy Gobert picks up three fouls in the first half of a playoff game and you need to go to this guy. And that's when you start looking at names like Aaron Baines, who I talked about. You start looking at names like uh, Daniel Tice, who you mentioned here, and I think he's actually probably a pretty good name. 
Gorgie Jang could be interesting. He's played on good teams with good coaching. Dwayne Dedman has always been around. Alex Len is a name that's kind of been bounced around a little bit. Uh, there are big men who should be available for the Jazz, and I'd be surprised if they don't sign a veteran. But at the same time, I think you also want to make sure Azabuki gets a realistic opportunity. Maybe that's just with the Stars, and he's still at least a year away. If so, it makes drafting him with a first-round pick even more perplexing because that's a guy who should be stepping in and ready to play after four years at Kansas. Blair Red, why was the handling of the backup center botch so badly? So kind of continuing on this trend. I do think this requires some context. First of all, it was bad. You know, $10 million for favors last year and then attaching a first-round draft pick to him. And we'll have to see what the protections are. Maybe it ends up as two second-round draft picks at some point. But, you know... That, that's a lot. That That's a lot for a backup center. And people knew it was a, it was a, it was a lot last year. You know, I remember writing about it and saying, it, it's all of your money of your mid-level exception that you probably could have gone after and gotten more athletic or gotten a bigger wing to come in. And, and those ended up being issues for the Jazz. But at the same time, Favors was beloved within Utah, both on the roster and within the fan base. He was plug and play. He was really good insurance for Rudy Gobert if Rudy were to get hurt or remember when the Jazz signed him, Gobert did not have a long-term extension done. And if he decided he wanted the absolute supermax and the Jazz were unwilling to pay it, you had favors to step in coming off of a double-double season in New Orleans who probably could have been the option. You may have even had to trade Rudy Gobert last year if you decided, hey, it doesn't seem like he's going to come back for the 2021-2022 season and beyond. You may have had to trade him last season, and then you still had a pretty good starting center in Derek Favors. So that's why he was signed. That's part of the reason why he was signed. Then it turned out that he kind of fell off a cliff, and you did sign Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gobert played basically every game for the Jazz last season and deserves to be on the floor for 35 minutes a night. And so you've got a $10 million backup center making, uh, or, or who only plays 13 minutes a game and wasn't playing particularly well. So it, it, a lot of things dramatically changed pretty quickly that made Favors' deal look really bad. And then as a, as a result, you had to move him and you had to attach a first-round pick just to get out from under that contract. But you couldn't afford to bring him back next season at $10 bucks. So it was a steep price to pay, and it was still cheaper than keeping him around next year. And that's kind of just the realistic, crappy part of it if you're a Jazz fan and if you're the Jazz front office. They don't want to send out more future first-round picks, but if your championships window or championship window stays open and you know this pick gets actualized in 2024 which is the soonest it can be done because they've already traded the 2022 draft pick to the Memphis Grizzlies and you're drafting 25 to 30 you probably sold a pick for 10 million bucks and that's that's pretty good you know and you got some cash back actually so it's a little more than the 10 million dollars or 20 million dollars in savings you'll get from not having favors on your uh, roster for the next two years it's pricey it's tough. It's not what the Jazz wanted to do, but it makes them better in the immediate future, and it might make them good enough that that ends up being a pretty, not worthless draft pick, but just not super high value. It, it was bad. It, it was just not a great deal, but, uh, you know, it makes the Azabuki draft book look really goofy, but you had to do it last night. I think it was something they absolutely had to had to find a way to get done if they wanted to bring Conley back, and that's what they did. Uh, Brandon Whiteside. Big problems last year were perimeter defense, length, and athleticism. What have they done to address them, and what will they do to address them? Truthfully, they haven't done anything. They could have done it last night in the draft by either taking Herb Jones out of Alabama or a guy like JT Thor, who's really raw but but could develop into that player but wouldn't have played next season. So he wouldn't have helped you. Herb Jones might have helped you. We'll see what he does. I think he ended up in Louisiana. Uh, or I should say uh, with the Pelicans. Let's see... 
what the Jazz now do once they get into free agency and then what they can do through trades. You didn't have a realistically good option last night to address it. You did address, I think, what you wanted to, which is you drafted Jared Butler, who was the guy the Jazz have had their eye on for a long time, and then you got out from the contract of Derek Favors. So that was kind of the game plan going into the summer. And you're two for two. So Justin Zanuck and Ryan Smith are batting a 1,000. That's really good. Now what do you do from here? The next option, obviously, is going to be to re-sign Mike Conley. They're going to try and do that, whatever, Monday, and then officially have it done by the end of the week. I would imagine that's their first goal. And then you start looking, because you're not going to have a whole lot of money other than the uh, taxpayer mid-level exception at either bringing in one of those lengthy wings, and I've already talked about a few of those guys, or you can start looking on the trade market. And, and, you know, one of the things the Jazz could do is, as opposed to trying to sign defense or two-way players with the mid-level exception because two-way players are just at such a premium, you're not going to get them for that cheap. One of the things you could do is sign a player who's who's less dynamic but has an obvious skill that you want to keep on this roster, which is shooting like Nemanja Bialica. He was with Miami last year in Sacramento. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to stick around in Miami. Can you go and get him for, you know, the, the taxpayer mid-level exception at five and a half million? And then if you have a four like that, who can shoot, who can also play a little bit of the three, how essential is Boyan Bogdanovich on your roster? You know, do, do you have to have that guy around long term? And if not, can you use him and his contract that still has, what, two years and $40 million remaining to go get a more dynamic two-way player making between 15 and 20 million bucks a year, because then you're probably getting a better player. So you're not going to get the best two-way guy with your taxpayer mid-level exception. But if you get a good one-way guy like Bielitsa who can shoot, and then you can flip another asset for a higher price two-way player, then maybe you're in business. And that's, I think, the way the Jazz could look to do it. Because they've got shooting, they've got offense, especially if Mike Conley comes back. I actually think if Jared Butler plays... Uh, and gets into the rotation alongside Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles. You know, you've got scoring. You've got guys who can who can certainly put the ball in the basket. Um, and if you were to bring back a Bielitsa, that's another guy who can really score the ball. Then you could start looking at more defense or a couple of defenders with one of your bigger contracts going out the other direction. And that could be Boyan. That could be Joe Ingles. Like there, there's plenty of options there with some of the deals that the Jazz have locked up, which are valuable and tradable. You know, they're good players who produce and don't make insane amounts of money. None of those are bad contracts, and not bad contracts are easy to trade, and that's what the Jazz have. So I I would keep an eye on that. I still think the Jazz have a little bit more flexibility than I think some fans have assumed just because they're they're over the luxury tax. You still have good tradable pieces, and that's where I think the Jazz would try to address length, athleticism. There's nothing I've heard along those lines. If the Jazz run it back, I still think they're going to be really good next year without making a trade. But if they want to find more versatility on the defensive end, which certainly seemed like an issue last season, I think those are options uh, that they could address. That's it for the Jazz Notes podcast. Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app, and hopefully we'll be back with you next week uh, as we get into free agency in the Utah Jazz Summer League.